Dear Jesus, we're so thankful for the safekeeping and the storms. We're so thankful for this time together. And as we talk about how our children can be successful in school, please be with us, lead and guide us. In your name, amen. Well, we're going to talk about school success, and we're going to deal with some different um, concerns that I have had and parents have had and talked to me about. But I'm wondering, what are your concerns about school and being successful? School board member, what concerns do you have? Biggest concern this year is the children and the staff. Oh, yes. So, three teachers from Kalamazoo. Yeah. Anyway, I'm not real concerned about it because I know a couple of But change is hard. Change is hard. Yeah. We've had a very successful school in the last six, eight years. And so that, that change, no matter whether I know or not, concerns me Fear of the unknown, yeah. Yes, terror of the unknown. <laughs> There's a lot of blame that goes around. And if you kind of follow the fingers, do you come to a starting point or an ending point? And it's, it's known as the blame game. And sometimes parents blame the teacher, and the teacher blames the parents, and everybody blames the curriculum and society. And if all we do is blame, we're not going to get anywhere. So let's take a look at what we can do to improve things. Psalms 1.1 starts out with, Blessed is the man, I like to add in boy or girl, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. And that's what we want our boys and girls to do. And the book Education has tremendous uh, insight into how we should be having our own academic society and trying not to have our children in, in with the wicked. And, but the wicked come into our schools. So... You know, we have to decide how are we going to deal with that. But I highly recommend this book if anybody is looking for something to help their school. There's, and the really exciting stuff is our research today in education is proving what the spirit of prophecy said 100 years ago. Well, that's pretty exciting stuff. And um, one of the things that I got to attend a class in May because we have a couple kids at our school who, who do not do well academically. And we have a student coming in who has some autism, and we have a student, another student who already has been there several years with it. And so um, the lower grade teacher and I were saying, okay, we got to learn how to deal you know, what's new out there from the last time we took classes in this. So we each went to a different class. And one of the things that they brought out was there are interventions. Now, if you're a teacher, you know there are all kinds of interventions that the classroom can do to try and help your child succeed because they gave him, you know, extended due dates. And, and, we'll, and you know, we work with different children different ways because none of the children are the same and very few of them are perfect. 
All right, I have yet to find them, but, but I'm still, you know, heaven's coming. Anyway, we have children who have ADD, attention deficit disorder, HDAD, hyperactivity attention disorder, and ODD, oppositional defiant disorder. We've just named all kinds of things. A lot of times they really are BRAT disorder, and, and you've got to look for different ways to, to work with these kids. Medication. And we've, for years we've been talking about medication. I remember going to a teacher in service where we had a doctor who surprisingly was for medication, but for years he'd been against it, and his son had ADHD. And he, he had done everything he could with his son through um, good diet and exercise, and his son really struggled because it's an imbalance in the brain chemistry. And so when the child got to college, he was 18, he went on his own and got medicated. And he went from a failing student to a straight-A student. He said, Dad, medication's good up to a point, okay? So that was my first time of, oh, we're not totally opposing medication for kids. And I've had students who've been on medication, and you know the day that they're not on, where somebody forgot to give them their pills. And a lot of times we'll ask the parent, can we have a couple at school so if they forget, we can just give them? Because I talked to one of my former students. I never would have guessed she had any ADD. She was just a B student, just sweet as could be, uh, socialite, terrific kid. When she got an academy, um, her brother was in college, and he was one who said, I think I've got some problems. And through all the testing, he needed to have some medication. And his, his mom said, I wonder if, if my daughter has the same issue. So she took her in and ran her through some tests, and they put them both onto some medication, and that girl went from B to straight A's. And she said, it was so nice because the buzzing quit in my head. And her older brother said, the songs finally quit. And I could think and hear what the teacher was saying. Those are the only kids I really know who, who can tell me the difference. So medication is something that's out there. And, you know, we don't heavily promote it, but it is there. But here was the astonishing thing to me. They said, if... If you're going to medicate a kid, it's not the school who has to change things. Right now, the schools are doing everything that can be done to help your child. The family has to change if the medications that's going to work. And then they did a list of what needed to change. Eliminate all alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, and drugs. Caffeine. You know, I've got... <laughs> I've got some kids at my school, sorry, Daniel, but they, they, like, they like their caffeine, not that they can have it at school, but you, can, you, you know what they talk about. They're going, that's not good for you. could stunt your growth, you know. That doesn't seem to bother them, but um, some, of the, some of our kids are from non-advanced homes where there's smoking going on at home, and that's bothering them. And so all of those kind of things have to be eliminated. And then we have to not rush them. 
they have to be protected from being rushed all the time. Okay, all right, we'll work on that one. More protein, less carbohydrates. Okay, because carbohydrates go to sugar, and we know what happens there. Oh, I'm um, avoiding always hurrying them, always being late, always saying we gotta go faster. We gotta. Kids are moving at a different pace, and some kids need to have a different pace. And it's you know, we're talking with one family. Maybe they need to spend two years in a grade. You know, that might be a necessity just because there's some foundational things missing and, you know, it's a hard class. But children who have ADD and ADHD, ODD, may need to not be rushed as much, not have that time pressure put on them quite as much. And then um, they need to get their heart rate up 30 to 45 minutes a day, five days a week. Wow! You know, this is what we've been saying all along. You've got the 60-minute group with the football players saying, get your kids out there playing hard for 60 minutes a day. They're saying, unless you can medicate your kid, but unless you're doing the rest of these things, that medication isn't going to do what it needs to do. But children need to be out getting good exercise 30 to 45 minutes a day, and that's outside of school. We're not talking about what we do to them do with them at school. You know, we get them going pretty hot and sweaty, but um, they need to go home and still be active. And then, avoid excessive video games. Maximum of 30 minutes a day. And you know what they're doing instead of getting their exercise. But they're saying you've got you've to limit. And that's not something we can do at school. That's something that has to be done at home. And then the next one is no more than two hours of screen time a day. So what if they're using an iPad at school? They could easily use up their two hours of screen time. If they're watching any TV or playing any video games, that two hours of screen time includes that half hour of video games. So they have to really, because they're finding that the screen time is causing sleep issues. It's taking them away from the exercise, it's taking away from getting the medicine, going through their brain properly, and two hours of screen time a day, maximum. I'm sitting there going, huh, you know, if parents did that, I'm not sure they need the medication, you know? And they should turn off all screens, TV, iPad, iPod, cell phone, two hours before sleep. If you have a kid, and, they, and this is good for all children, but especially any child who has medication, they need to be able to do that. And then they need to get proper sleep. And I'm looking at that list going, <laughs> you know, it's what we've been telling parents forever, and now we have um, research to back it up. And this was just, this was just one slide of an all-day presentation on how to deal with kids with issues. But to me, that, was, that really jumped out. Now, um, our lower grades teacher also intended um, a child brain activity. And she said that one of the things they, they taught was teach the children how to cope with stress. So that may be where you want to be. And um, 
I can send you some information if you leave me a name and uh, address. But we need to be teaching kids actively coping strategies so that if they're having meltdowns at school, and that happens in some of our lower grades, what is it that we can do to help them cope? Now, I would share all of that with you, but it's a book about that big. But if you would like a little bit of information, leave me a name and an address, and I'll send it to you. But those are things, you know, it could be as simply as going through that previous list of getting fresh air and exercise and, and getting to bed and getting plenty of sleep and those kind of things. And then digestion. Children have problems if they have digestion issues. And we have more of this uh, gluten issues and, and nut issues and... Um, milk allergies, and it's all out there. And so if your child is having some problems, it may be because they're having some digestion issues. So that would be something to check on. We had a student this year who started having some problems and discovered they needed to be gluten-free. And then their concentration went way up because they weren't dealing with the stomach issues. This is why I'm excited to be able to share some of these things with you is those are some of the things that can lead to some issues with kids. And um, good for you. We, we never let our sons, I have two grown sons now, but when I was teaching early on, I was around, I was a young teacher the year that video games came out at Christmas time. Do you remember that year at all? And in January, I'm watching kids' grades just tank, you know, a grades to F, B grades to F, D grades to F. And I started having parent-teacher conferences with these parents saying, I'm not sure what's happening. Your child was doing so well. And what I learned is all of the children having academic problems had video games. They had all gotten them at Christmas. So then I went back and talked to the parents thinking, you know, that might be an issue. And if the parent put the game away until summer, the kids' grades came back up. Um, one parent put the game away except on weekends, and their grades hovered around C, but at least they were up from F. But one parent couldn't get, the kid couldn't get his grades back up. Finally, the parents found out that they had moved the, the game station into another room, and he was getting up in the middle of the night and playing while they were sleeping. So now we're compounding that imagery plus lack of sleep. So they put that one under lock and key when they found that out. But, you know, having experienced that, my sons were never allowed to play video games. It was, okay, um, let's teach you how to touch type first. And then my, you know, my husband, who's an architect, said, well, let's, let's learn computer programming. If you want to do something on the computer, now that you can type, you can... Com so they were programming about third, third grade. And then they said, okay, Dad, this is getting a little boring. Okay, let me teach you how to CAD draft. So they learned how to do computer, um, yes, and they could do all of that. And once they mastered that, then they started doing 3D imaging on their way. I have no idea what they're doing. But they could do 3D modeling. And um, then they went to college. And uh, one of them had a roommate who wanted to just play games all day. And my older son said, nope, can't do that. <laughs> and 
The guy ended up going home at Christmas because he couldn't find anybody to play games with. But he was, he was with a group of guys who were there to learn. But you know, when they went to college and they had to take a drafting class and had to learn um, computer-aided design, their two-hour labs lasted about 20 minutes, and they said, how could you do that? I said, well, my dad made me learn this in fifth grade, you know. <laughs> but it has held them in good stead, and it was not until college that they understood why mom and dad had said that for so long. So no matter what you're doing, you know, if the Lord is impressing you, hold fast to that. And explain, you know, you might not know this now, but one day you're going to appreciate this. And I know it doesn't make any sense now, but it is going to make a difference. Um, things to avoid are allergens. Uh, our kids, if they're allergic to something, this can, this can activate the ADD and ADHD, the ODD, oppositional defiant. And allergens can be anything from the hand sanitizer we have them use. It could be um, environmental. Uh-huh. So you, you want fragrance-free things if you think that might be an issue. It could be the pollens. You know, it, there's so many allergens out there. And try and figure out what to do to help your children. And the toxins, again, you know. Then, same thing as we just talked about. They've got to exercise and they've got to sleep. Those are two huge components that need to be occurring with our children. And not sleeping in class. That's not what we're talking about. Um, I worked with a teacher once. And he was teaching an academy, and he would say, well, you're either going to come into my class and learn something or wake up refreshed. <laughs> but, um, and then let's watch what they take in. Let's watch their nutrients. Are they getting a good, balanced diet? And then what kind of drugs? You know, we got to be careful with what our kids are taking. Are they... What kind of allergy medication are they taking? Is that causing some of the ADD and ADHD? And work with the doctors. And a lot of times with diet, uh, my younger son, huge pollen allergies. When, like, every tree in the spring he's allergic to. And no medication helped him. But if you get honey that's produced by the bees locally, and you use that honey, that helps alleviate a lot of the pollen allergies. It has to be local. You can't just go to the grocery store and get it. You have to go to a local beekeeper because you've got it. It's, it's the allergy, allergens that are in your area. But that worked for him. Nothing else did, and we went through a lot. But um, um, another thing my younger son started doing is he would shower every night and make sure he washed his hair because and then he would cover his pillow during the day make sure that was covered because of you know what comes in you have open windows and yeah so those are some things that if our kids are struggling those are some things we could do and this one is to help you remember it's part p-a-r-t if that helps you at all. And I'm going to give you that screenshot and the other one that was before it. But the exciting thing was, as we looked at them, both Mrs. Robinson and I had the same thoughts, separate classes, separate days. 
But we said, um, over a hundred years, Ellen White gave us the seven keys to happiness, and we call it New Start. And let's take a look at how that resembles what we just looked at. We know we need to have good nutrition. We know we need to have exercise. We know we need to have water inside and out, whether, you know, proper bathing, plenty of drinking. We know we need sunshine. Did you know that when sunshine shines on um, cancer cells, it kills the cancer cells? So all of this worry about being in the sunshine, we, we need to go back to what the Spirit of Prophecy says in moderation in all things. But we do need sunshine. We need temperance. That goes right back to, you know, the alcohol, the caffeine, the drugs. We need fresh air. We need rest, again, sleep. And we need trust in divine power, which I thought was just incredibly exciting to see two different, and Mrs. Robinson felt the same way. She said, all I could think of was new start as we went through this. So can I get you to pass those out for me? Um, I remember having to memorize that list when I was in academy. This was one of the big Bible class assignments. You always had to know this. And boy, it has really paid off to memorize that and have that in front of me. And again, so I'm going to take you back to the book Education because, again, science is proving what we were told. Well, one of the things I've learned is parents need to be the parent, not the child. Sometimes we have children um, who think they're the boss, right? You've seen those kids? Don't let that happen to your little one. Um, parent psychology, uh-huh. I know if I, I smile at my grandmother, she'll do anything for me. Mm -hmm. uh, parents are the leaders of the home, and we need to teach our children responsibility. And it's, it's like teaching my dog that she can only do certain things, that she, she can't go out and bark at the neighbor's dog in their yard, you know, or she needs to stay close by. We do the same thing with the granddaughter. You need to take my hand. We're going to go across the street, and you, we need to look both ways. And and this is a twenty month year old, twenty month old child, and just trying to start teaching that responsibility of you hold somebody's hand, you hold on to things, um, and and in the process of teaching them responsibility, we're teaching them self esteem. For years, self esteem was a big issue that you know, we can't have first and second place, we can't have honor society, we can't do this because somebody's self-esteem is going to be hurt. But you know, if we're teaching our children responsibility and we're helping them know that they can excel at something, all children excel at something. They might excel at academics. You know? They might excel at social. They might be the one who befriends everybody. They might be the one who is the very best helper. They can't, can't seem to get their schoolwork done. They annoy everybody, but they're right there to help you every time. So we can look for ways to build self-esteem in children individually and not just count. Academics is one part of it, but there's a whole bunch that goes into 
raising a child. Parents need to be in charge. Too many times I've seen parents leave decision-making to their 7- or 10-year-old child. Um, what do you mean you didn't get enough sleep last night? Well, I didn't want to go to bed. Okay, whose decision is that, you know? Growing up, my kids were in bed because I knew they needed 10 to 12 hours of sleep a night. And so I was just, you're going to go to bed. And if you lay there in the dark and in the quiet, you will get 70% of the rest you need because I can't go to sleep. Okay, that's okay. As long as it's dark and quiet, you're good. You can stay awake all night if you want, but you're in the dark and in the quiet. I may have let him sleep a little too much because I've got one who's six foot five and the other one's six foot eight. So we're a little bit concerned that maybe. And it, it, my six foot eight son in academy was sitting next to a girl who really loved her caffeine and loved to stay up late. And one day he finally just looked at her and said, you know, that stunts your growth. <laughs> no, it doesn't. And then when they stood up, she came to about his waist. And he said, are you sure? Yeah. But we need to not leave those decisions to our kids. We've, we have more life experience. We have more understanding, hopefully. We have more maturity. And being a parent is tough. Uh, yesterday, I had the opportunity to go to my 21-month-old granddaughter's swimming class. Yes, she is taking swimming. And she has a 10-minute swimming class every day, five days a week. And the first time I went was last week, and she cried a lot. And she screamed, no more, no more. And, uh, you know, grandmother's sitting there going, I can't go save her, you know. I'm a swimming teacher. I'm a lifeguard. I want to go save her. She's coughing and sputtering, but I'm watching the teacher, and she's not unhappy with the teacher. She just doesn't want to do what the teacher says. Got to go yesterday, and she was doing everything the teacher said. She can float on her back. She can be on her stomach and get to her back. She can grab the side. What they're teaching her is to be safe. If it was her choice, she would never have a swimming lesson. But that's not what her mom and dad said. We want you water safe. We want, we want to be out in Lake Michigan with you. We want to go swimming with you. We need you to be safe. So they were the parents, and they made a tremendously difficult decision to put their little girl in a swimming class that she was not enjoying, that looked like when, this, when the, every baby there, when they would get done with their lesson, they would put them up on the side on a nice blanket, on a towel, and cover them with another towel and pat their back. Every one of those kids just laid there, not moving. Now, my granddaughter is always moving. That was the stillest I'd ever seen her. Is she okay? The first time. Is she all right? How much water did she swallow? But, you know, after about eight or nine minutes, she's okay, and you can go get her dressed and get going. Parents made a really tough decision, and that's just the beginning of all the tough decisions that a parent has to make. And we need to not have our children in control of our families. Does that mean they're not a part of the decision-making? No. The older they get, the more you want to discuss things with them and have them um, help you decide. 
This year we took a really neat class trip. And we got to go up north to Traverse Bay area and we actually got out on a, a ship that sailed under full sail and the kids learned how to sail it. But I didn't tell them what their trip was going to be. They kept telling me what they wanted to do. And sometimes it involved amusement parks. And I said, no, we're going to do what I want to do, and I'll just take you along because I'm going to have fun, and you can have fun if you want. But what are we going to do? Should we? The year before, we'd gone down to the Creation Museum. That had been totally awesome. They were ready to go back to that. I said, no, we did that last year. We're going to do something else. And it took some working out. Finally, we broke the news to them. And they just sat there and stared at us like, we're not sure about this. But afterwards, when I talked to them about it, they just, it was going to be an unknown. They were unfamiliar with the things they were going to do. And at the la you know, one of the last things we did was we visited the music museum up at Traverse City. The music museum. Some of my students said that was the best part of the trip, outside of getting to go on the the schooner, the sailing ship. But they had loved that. But that was my decision. It wasn't their decision on what we were going to do. Even though I could say, you know, they said, could we bring board games and have a game night? Yeah, we could do that. Um, yeah, we can have pizza one night. Yeah, we'll go to Taco Bell. You know, they can have some input, but ultimately, who's going to make the choice? Well, because I'm a teacher, I, whatever I do, I want to be teaching something, and so I wanted to make sure it was a learning activity. And I learned a lot, <laughs> hoping they did too. Proverbs tells us in um, chapter 13, verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, I'm not in for spanking kids. I am so glad teachers don't have to spank children. I did not even like trying to get my own son's attention. And my husband and I one day said, do you remember spanking the boys? And, you know, we came up with maybe four times where the strong-willed had to get a little bit of attention. But spanking isn't the only thing that a rod is. A rod is for steering. You know, a shepherd doesn't go beat on his sheep. A step shepherd will use that rod to guide them. And that's what I think that Solomon's telling us, is if we're not guiding our children and disciplining them, and, and disciplining is just another word for discipling them, if we're not showing them the way, then do we really love them? Because it's tough. And then in chapter 19, verse 18, discipline your children for, that, for in that there is hope. Do not be a willing party to their death. Parents who do not, and I'm going to say teachers who do not, if we're not directing our kids, we're not going to have them one day. They're going to choose a different path. Yes. Now, um, let's talk about the hopeless pursuit of perfection. Okay? This, this is a definite issue, and we see it with the kids. Um, it's all or nothing. I must be perfect. These children could be your slobs. They could be poor students. They're usually discouraged perfectionists. They give up trying because it hurts too much to fail. 
Fighting and arguing are acts of cooperation. It takes two to cooperate. All children need encouragement more than prodding. For many learning problems, the real issue is attitude. And, and children who aren't getting things done could be um, depressed perfectionists. So it starts out, it must be perfect. We just had a science fair. And, oh, you could tell who the kids were who it had to be perfect because it was going to be perfect or nothing else. They, they were sure they could do anything. You'd listen to their projects and you'd say, um, let's just break this down a little bit and get a little bit more realistic. You know, that's really neat, but you know, I, none of us have a PhD in what you're talking about, so it's not gonna, I'm not going to be able to help you with this. Then the child gets into it and says, how did I get into this? I'll never be able to get it all done. Um, I know it could have been better. I, I blew it. I am what I do. The only thing that counts is results, performance, and I'll try harder. I know I can do better than that. And it just is a vicious cycle. Any of you know any kids like that? Yeah? <laughs> and they're in our school, and they're not getting anything done. And this is your second handout. So, Daniel, would you pass that out? They can't get anything done because they get stuck. And if it's not perfect, if it's not phenomenal, it's not good enough. And then, in order to justify to themselves failure, they never finish it. I had a student who would never turn in a math paper because they were so afraid it would be wrong. I said, well, you know, at least do it so I, do two or three problems so I know whether you're doing them right. Let me look at them. I'm here to help you. And, and we try to do that. We try to look at them closely. We try to, to um, get to them. But when you have a child who's, who's really struggling, it could be perfectionism is getting in their way. Now, Seventh-day Adventists, we aim for perfection, right? We're hoping to be good citizens of God's kingdom. But are we going to be perfect here on earth? No. Does that mean we're failures? No. But our children need to be trained in that. And that, can we use the failures not so much as a, you know, oh, you failed at this, but what, what have we learned? If I waited until I felt I was good enough at something, I would never do anything. And, and that has been a really good thing for me, is I could be frozen in what I'm doing, or I could do my best. And you know what I've said over and over to kids? Something's better than nothing. Just do something for me. Let, do, do, you know, okay, so you, you're afraid you're not going to be able to do it? Do something. Give me something. Because they're caught in this perfectionism. And so not doing it is not personal failure. Because I just didn't do it. I ran out of time. That's not me. Um, moving on, how do you reinforce those desired behaviors? One is role modeling. Is, is children are going to look at us. How are we doing with things? Am I getting stressed about, oh, I've got so much to do? Well, then the kids start picking up on that. Oh, I've got so much homework. Oh, dear, I taught that to them. That was not what I'd wanted to teach them. 
Well, and one of the things I started doing with ninth and tenth grade is um, for a while when we would do the newsletter, I would have them do the proofreading. So when I'd get all done, I'd say, okay, I need you to proof this. Nothing brings greater joy than finding a mistake the teacher made. And I make plenty, and they would give it back to me all marked up, and I'd go, oh, thank you so much. I so appreciate that. And that's, that's one thing with your kids is just say, okay, you know, when I, when I write it, in my head, it's this is the way it is. And when I read it, it's what I saw in my head. But when you read it, it's what I actually put down. The same things happen with you and your assignments. So if you get your mom or dad to read stuff for you before you turn it in. Because in your head, you've got it the way it should be. But that might not be what your fingers did. And, you know, just teaching them that it's okay, you know, when that would happen, I would not get upset. I'd just, oh, thank you. You know, I don't want that newsletter to go out like that. No, no. And so then we can help each other and, and teach each other, let's help each other with this. I don't want to send anything out without somebody else looking at it for me because chances are I'm going to overlook something. So good, good help is hard to get, but when you can find it, I remember in um, Academy, I made my dad always read my papers, you know, look this over, make sure that I've got this grammatically, because he knew all the grammar rules, and he knew, and so he could look it over for me and say, well, you need to fix this and this. Really appreciate that, and, and so our kids need to find somebody who they can say, Mom, look over this math. Now, <clears throat> parents can't look over math so much anymore with our math series, but if it comes to, right down to it, you know, you can check the multiplication, the division, the addition, and if you need to pull out your calculator, do that. But go ahead and double check them and say, why don't you fix this one and this one? You know, because I do that at school. I'll look over their math and go, well, these five look really good, but I think you want to look at these two again, and then I'll check them, you know. Because the goal is not to mark something wrong. The goal is to learn how to do something. And that's what we have to help them understand. The goal is to learn how to be successful. And to be successful, we have to do the things that we don't want to do. Like my granddaughter not wanting to put her face in the water. Not wanting to, you know, have to turn over and float. But boy, when you get to success, the joy there is just huge. And self-esteem comes along with that. But it was the trial and error that got us to that point. Um, we need to be honest with our kids. Oh, you're brilliant. Maybe you're not. But can you try hard? Did you do your best? Did, did, was it hard? No, it wasn't hard. Oh, I'm going to have to talk to that teacher because I'm not sending you to that school to just do easy stuff. Oh, 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 I learned this and this and this today. Don't talk to my teacher. But, but, you know, when they come on, oh, that was so hard. Yes, I want you to learn. I want you, but, but I'm not understanding it. Well, what a better place to be than at school if you're not understanding it. I, uh, I read an article about our tendency to want to tell kids good job and how that can be harmful because they are only seeking approval at that point. Mm -hmm. And what we need to encourage them is to 
important to you, to your best? Did you, you know, did you try hard? And you know, are you happy with your results? And then they're self-actuating. They realize, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I did that. I think I did my best on it. And uh, yeah, we want them, and not just, well, you tell me I'm brilliant. Well, you tell me I'm smart. And it's so easy to go, oh, good job. You know, that was good. You're doing. You're working hard. I'm really proud of how hard you're working. Even though it was hard, you put your effort into it. I can tell. That took a lot of energy. I think you're doing much better today than yesterday. You know? And we've got to come up with those creative ways to, to help them. But one of the, the neat things that I was reading about was um, we've got to help kids to, to be willing to do the hard stuff. And so not saying, oh, you're a great artist, but wow, tell me about this. That's really neat, the way you shared that. And getting them to give us more feedback. And that's hard to retrain ourselves to do those kind of things. But when we praise, we're looking exactly at how are we praising. Are we praising effort or success? We really need to praise effort. Oh, wow, you did this whole page. Did it all wrong. I can see you put a lot of work into it. We should have done more at school because then I could have helped you before it got this bad. You know, I'm not going to say that to him, but it's, this is why we do things in class so that when you go home, you know how to do that. But, yeah, let's find things to praise him. You are the best helper. Oh, I was just up getting uh, canned goods best helper in the world came along to help me. <clears throat> Trained him the last five years, but, but even his boss was saying, he is an amazing helper. But you spent a lot of time saying, you're so good at helping me with this. Look at what happens, you know. Always will have a job because they know how to help. Then let's talk about rest. I was, I was reading something in... Um, Top 100 scientific research breakthroughs this last year. And one of them is they have found something in the brain that's kind of a cleaner. It cleans out, but it only does it when we're in sleep. Not when we're resting, but only when we're in sleep. And they're beginning to wonder if some of the Alzheimer and dementia is coming about because people didn't get proper rest. And so all that cleaning that gets done in the brain isn't getting done through the years. Yikes, I'm in big trouble. i, I got to get more sleep. But that's the only time that happens is when we are sound asleep, in a good sleep, not just a nap or a rest, but good because it takes a couple hours to get into it, it starts cleaning out the plaque and things in our brains. And our children need to learn that. And, and we need to role model it. This is really tough because as parents and as teachers, we need to get proper rest. Bedtime needs to be consistent, and the best way to do that is bedtime routines. I had a, have a granddaughter, and she didn't like to go to sleep. I was telling you that earlier. Put the routines into place. Um, have family worship. Go get a bath, get your teeth brushed, get your pajamas on, and then you lay down and go to sleep every night, same time. 
every night, same time. Friday nights, same thing. Saturday night, same thing. And that consistency and that routine then makes bedtime easy. And they start getting tired about that time too because that's what their body has gone into a routine. Now you and I, we love disruptions from routine. The younger the child, the more the routine they need. Lack of sleep is a problem. Does lack of sleep lead to ADD? That's a question out there. Sleep-deprived children experience abnormal brain waves. Um, those brain waves look like the brain waves of an ADD child. So they're saying, okay, is sleep deprivation leading to our attention deficit chemical imbalance disorders? Or because the, the explosion of attention deficit disorder came out about the same time as video games. So kids were not getting as much sleep, but when you look at it, preschoolers need 11 to 13 hours. They're not getting it all at once because they have naps still, but they're needing half their day in sleep. School-aged kids need 10 to 11 hours of sleep a night, every night. They're not getting it. No wonder they're having some focus issues. Uh, television or screen time, we've talked about limiting the amount of that, two. Two hours max, game time's 30 minutes, all right. I would say television, half an hour max, but that's, yes, and if you're going to let your kids watch TV, you watch whatever they're watching. Just make sure that um, my brother had a little boy, and one time I was talking to him on the phone and said, what am I hearing? I said, oh, I'm watching Barney with my son. <laughs> now my brother is not a Barney kind of person. Said, yeah, we used to watch Teenage Ninja Warrior Turtles or something, and then my son kicked a hole through the drywall. Now we watch Barney. So he had taken to heart, you got to watch with your kids what they're watching because two hours of that you're not going to do. Half an hour, I remember sitting with the kids watching it going, I'm going to do this for half an hour. Wouldn't you guys like to go play a game? Can't we go outside? Let's go ride bikes, you know? Because it's not, it's not. That's pretty much what you think about it during the school year. That's their whole evening. Yeah. Uh-huh. do you spend time Exactly. Getting enough sleep. Yeah. Then you have to spend any time with that. That's I can't believe it. Two hours. Well, that's that's what the world is saying is limit it to two hours because kids are watching more than that. I'm saying a half an hour, maybe an hour. Um, whatever they're doing, train them to analyze what they're seeing. There is so much lying, there is so much wrong, that once you go through and say, look what, look what he's doing, did he tell the truth? Uh, is she following what the Bible says to do? You're going to find less and less to be able to watch. Um, but we need to train them to analyze, because one day they're going to go out on their own. One of my best friends, I, I grew up at Andrews University. We were the evil family in the, in the 
neighborhood because we had a television. So when the moon landing came, the whole neighborhood was in our basement. But my friend, who was never allowed television at her house because they were much better than we were, when she got out on her own, she became addicted for the next 10 years to television. Everything. She said, I watched everything. I couldn't get anything done because it was so absorbing. Me, I grew up knowing there was nothing on TV, so it wasn't an issue. But for her, so we need to be training our kids, which is why I think maybe half an hour, you know, four days a week is probably okay. But we've got to train them with what they're seeing and with what they're watching so that they learn how to analyze what they're seeing. We used to do this with books. We used to train children how to analyze what they were reading. And that's okay to put down a book if it's not appropriate. We need to teach them it's okay to turn off the TV if it's not appropriate. Foods, uh, as a teacher, please don't send your kid to school without breakfast. It's like starting out on a trip without putting fuel in the car. You're not going to get very far. And the best, the best piece of advice I had for my own kids was, after supper, they don't get to eat anymore. And, you know, don't, don't overdo supper so that they can get up and eat breakfast. Lunch, lunch needs to be packed by the parents. I know that we try and train our kids to take care of themselves, but a seven-year-old doesn't have good sense. I, I had some 12-year-olds that I saw this last year who, you put what in your lunch? 14-year-olds, how many desserts do you have? Do you have anything besides dessert? Well, that's all we had. Parents need to be, you know, you might put out, you've got this, 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 and this. And you can put it in your own lunch and get it there. But parents need to be supervising what goes into the lunch, not the kids. Um, if they're going to come to eat snacks, which they work pretty hard at school. They're going to come home hungry. I mean, we, go, we end the day hungry, but the kids are going to end up hungry because they've used a lot of mental ability. And I'm so glad to see the billboards out there saying, um, change your child's snack for good. I love it. Get them, get them the fruit, get them the, the carrot, celery sticks and things. Um, but oversee that. And then supper, supper needs to be family time. Turn the television off, sit down as a family. Ask, this is another really good suggestion, is talk to them about challenges you face. So you can say, oh, I had this really tough problem at school. And this is how I solved it. I went and I talked to this teacher. And, and then you take them step by step on how you solved the problem. So it wasn't just, oh, everything went well with dad today. It was dad had a problem at school. And, he, and now you're teaching them the steps on how to solve the problem, which I thought was a fantastic suggestion. We have at our, our table, we sit together. And as a child, that was the big thing in my home. My mother never, I bet you the whole time I lived at home, I bet you maybe twice she let us sit in front of the TV and the And other than that, you were at the table. So that's cool in our house. But we also have a jar uh, on discussion topics. Oh. <laughs> that sits by our table, and whoever's good turn gets to pick one, and then we discuss my, just five minutes or so. Yeah. And it opens up the conversation. And, you know, what a good suggestion. Being a parent is not for the weak. Um, their children want your presence. They want you around. They want their parents' attention. And we're almost out of time, so I'm not going to get 
lengthy stories in there, but kids want their parents. Even when they say, oh, you know, I don't want you around, they really do. They want memories with you. They want to spend time with you. As parents, we've got to say no. There are too many times where yes would be easier, but only for now. No is, no is it's just something we've got to do. We can find different ways to say it, but we need to be that strong. Routines are success automatically. Um, that which we persist in doing becomes easier. Not that the nature of the task has changed, but our ability to do has, has increased. And Emerson shared that with us. In other words, when you have a routine, when they get home from school, when they get their exercise, when they sit down with their schoolwork, when they eat their supper, when they go through the bedtime routines, the more you keep them in that cycle, the easier it gets. I know what time of day I need to grade papers. If I try and grade them at a different time, I have to battle for 15 minutes to get my mind to grading it. But if I wait until my regular grading paper time, I'm in, I'm done, and that's it. Schoolwork, um, real quick, because we're almost out of time. Why? You know, if you're not sure why your child has that homework, check with their teacher. Where? Homework should be done under parental supervision. Don't send them to their room to do it on their own. When? Put it into a routine. Um, who does the homework? The child. The parent does not. I have, you laugh, but I have had parents who have done, parents who have done their child's schoolwork up until they get to sixth grade and then suddenly neither them nor the child can do their math because the child never learned and mom had done it for them. And that becomes very evident in fifth and sixth grade. So make sure the child is doing the homework. Um, what are they doing? Whatever, you know, has been assigned. Again, talk to the teacher about it. If, they, if you go home and say, my fourth grader is two hours of homework every night, you and the teacher need to sit down and figure out something different. That's too much because they need that play time. No, no, no. You need to... You need to get some balance in there because the children, we've talked about all the things children need to do, including sleep. And this was hard with my ninth and 10th graders trying to convince them you need to get to sleep. You're actually are gonna do better if you get up early to finish your homework than if you stay up late. Uh, try convincing a 15 year old of that. Uh, it needs to be done neatly, timely, and regularly. Roles, routines, and relationships. The last one, we talked about parents, we talked about routines. And here are your partners for success. Team up with your, your family members. My kids would have a messy room. All I had to do is say, um, your grandmother's coming to visit. Of course, I'd call grandmother and make sure she could come over. Grandmother's coming to visit, and it'll take her about an hour to get here, and you know that room would always be clean before grandmother got there because there was not a chance they were going to have grandmother see a messy room. Mom, not a problem. I would just, I learned to shut the door because that was not a, worth an argument. But anytime I mentioned a grandparent coming, it was spectacular. Um, so teaming up, get your teachers, get the coaches, get the assistants to help you. Every kid has somebody who's going to be their hero. Every, find the person who is unbelievably 
excited about your child because that's the person, it could be a Sabbath school teacher, it could be their school teacher, somebody is going to just think your child is wonderful and every child needs that person. Um, the pastor, Sabbath school leaders, Pathfinder leaders, adventure leaders, all of those people can help. Like I'm going to promote adventurers and Sabbath school and Pathfinders at school. They can promote school at their events too. And they can say, well, I have to do this for Pathfinders. Well, good, I'm going to talk to your Pathfinder leader and see if we can work this out together so that you know you still have a life. Because let's not be separate entities. Let's work together for our children's sake. And then children's children are a crown to the aged and parents are the pride of their children. We want our children, us to be proud of them, but they want to be proud of us too. Are we doing what God has led us to do? Because where do we want to be? This is where we want to be with our families. And I, I count the school kids as my families. They're, they're, I spend a lot of time with them. So they could become very close. I want to have prayer. So I know some of you need to leave. And then if anybody wants to stay around and talk, that's fine. Dear Jesus, we thank you for our time together. We're looking forward to success in many areas. Help us to find that with each of the children. Lord, and there are ways that we can help children learn. Please put it on our hearts and minds and give us the strength to be the kind of leaders in our homes and our schools that you would have us be in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org dot org.